Hi guys, welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode 60. Update. This week was better. Definitely not as emotional as last week. Um, (laughs) I had a lot of distractions at work. I think it would have, (laughs) it could have possibly been more of an emotional week, but work was um, kind of all consuming this past week. I'm working on a project that's kind of big and it requires a lot of my attention and it also requires me to be way more organized than I usually am. Um, So, you know, it's just been taking up a lot of my brain power this week. So by the end of the week, my brain was just fried. (laughs) I mean, like on Friday, Friday's my day off, as you guys know, um, I was trying to help a friend with something and it was like this form I couldn't figure it out like and it wasn't I'm sure a difficult form but it was you ever like um your brain is so fried that you're reading something and you understand each individual word of what you're reading it's familiar but when you smush them all together in a sentence they make no sense I I could not make sense of this form but anyway i mean i tried but (laughs) i couldn't do it i my concentration level by the end of the week was just zero (laughs) and i knew i just needed to kind of take a few days to sort of give my brain a rest i you know just did some mindless stuff i watched a lot of tv i did some cleaning i did some shopping i did some online window shopping you know just anything that didn't require me to concentrate a whole lot i also had another moment this week where i woke up with a song playing in my head this time it was the bg song how deep is your love specifically the second verse it's really weird how i always seem to wake up kind of mid song as if you know like i'm first dreaming about it and then i wake up and the song just kind of continues i never wake up and then the song starts from the beginning and usually the lyrics are significant you know sometimes i I have to kind of think about it a little bit i didn't have to i didn't have to think about this one at all i knew immediately and and if you want to know you could go and listen to the song the second verse, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will also know. So I don't even need to give you an explanation. But I like the Bee Gees. I, I honestly, I really do like the Bee Gees. Their um, three-part harmonies are some of the, in my opinion, the greatest in music. If you want to hear harmonies better in the Bee Gees, just go to the Eagles. Like nothing, nothing beats the harmonies of an Eagles song. I love the Eagles. But anyway, I love the Bee Gees. But it reminded me that my true love is actually Andy Gibb. I love him. I I, I don't... I really don't remember hearing like his music a lot when I was little. I mean, I'm sure I did. He was 
pretty popular in the 70s and 80s. But I, I, I remember one time I was in the car. This was a few years back. I was in the car and I was listening to like a 70s um, playlist on Amazon. And one of his songs came on. And now, and prior to this, I can't even remember the last time I'd heard an Andy Gibbs song. I mean, it's not like he's played often, right? So one of his songs came on. And I knew every single word. Isn't it funny how like a song from when you were maybe eight or 10 years old and you haven't heard it in likely decades comes on and you remember every single word. So then, you know, I kind of like went to like the Andy Gibbs station and I was listening more and more of his songs and I was like, I know all of these songs. I know the words to most of the songs. And I just realized that I I loved him since I was a little kid. Like my love for Andy Gibb is deep and it is real. Do you know he was only 30 when he died? I didn't know that. I thought he was a lot older than that. And I remember when he died, it was like widely reported that it was a drug overdose and his family was really upset because actually at the time that he died, although he had struggled with drug addiction most of his adult life he had he was actually in recovery the time that he died and um just years of cocaine abuse had weakened his heart to the point that it killed him but if you haven't listened to andy gibb in a while do yourself a favor especially if you're around my age go listen to some andy gibb it will make you happy if you and if you only want to listen to one andy gibb song I highly recommend I Just Want to Be Your Everything. It is such a good song. TV podcast recommendations. The podcast I'm listening to this week is season three of Up and Vanished. This is the Payne Lindsay podcast. He's seasons one and two. You know, he'll like take one case and, and do a whole season with it. It's such a good podcast. One and two were great. Uh, season three is about the Northwest Montana disappearance of Ashley Loring, who went missing in 2017. I'm only three episodes in. It is really good. Uh, Payne Lindsay is so good at this kind of thing. He He's very good at just telling a complete story. If you like true crime, check it out. Season three, Up and Vanished. I also watched season two of Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. Guys, I love this series so much. If you have not watched Love on the Spectrum, I cannot recommend it highly enough. This is such a good series. It follows a group of autistic adults who are trying to find love. It is just the sweetest. Like it will it will make your heart Oh, like if if you feel like you have lost faith in humanity, do yourself a favor and watch this show. And if you watch and your heart doesn't grow three sizes like the Grinch on Christmas morning, when you see Ronan's story in particular, it's very likely that you might not have a heart. I also watched The Starling on Netflix. That's the new movie with Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd. Again, I really like this movie. I love Melissa McCarthy. And I 
like when she does a kind of like combination drama comedy. I think that's when she's at her best. It is funny. It's sweet. It's sad. I also love Chris O'Dowd. He's great in everything that he does. He had a series a few years ago. I think it's still available on Prime. It was called Moon Boy. And in it, he plays the imaginary friend of a young boy. This is such a good show. It's quirky, but it's funny and sweet. And if you like that kind of thing, check that one out. I think it is still available on Amazon. And on HBO, (laughs) I watched the weirdest three-part docuseries called The Way Down, God, Greed, and the Cult of Gwen Shamblin. Gwen was the founder of Remnant Fellowship Church in Tennessee, and she was the creator of this diet program, which it was called The Way Down, W-E-I-G-H. Wasn't she clever? Uh, The program, basically, the whole idea behind it was whenever you felt like eating, you just prayed, right? So I, I was listening to like the details of it, like her explaining it, and I very clearly remember Oprah talking about something like this. I don't know if she was talking about this way down program specifically, but I remember her saying something to the effect of, you don't eat until your stomach starts growling. And that's exactly what was like the basis of Gwen's program. Like you do not eat until your stomach starts growling. And if you feel like you want to eat before your stomach starts growling, you just pray. So And I remember Oprah saying like that too, like you don't eat until your stomach starts growling because if you eat before then, you're stopping your body from sort of burning fat as fuel, right? I I don't know. I, I can tell you this, there were women in Gwen's program who were very successful at losing weight and then they put it all back on. So I don't know if praying the hunger away is exactly the best way to go. Of course, it wouldn't be a series on HBO if there wasn't some controversy. There were allegations of mistreatment of the members, and there was even the tragic death of a child of two of the members. This series has all the things I look for in a documentary. It has crime, cults, and conspiracy. But the thing that I found most fascinating was Gwen's hair. Now, normally, I wouldn't comment on someone's physical appearance, but guys, this hair has to be seen to be believed. Actually, I'm not sure if seeing it can explain it either. This hair was teased for Jesus. It, It wasn't always like that, which is the weird part. Like when When they're showing old clips of her, like when she's on the Larry King show or wherever, Donahue, or when she's doing her um, seminars or whatever, her hair was normal. It was, you know, like that 80s normal, you know, it was a little teased to the little aquanetted, but it it wasn't what it, (laughs) what it became. It was like it got bigger each year. It was a real hair journey. And yes, the series is well done and interesting. But to be honest, the reason why I kept watching 
was I was hoping that someone would actually address the giant teased elephant in the room and explain her hairstyle. It never happened. They did slightly address it at the end of the second episode, but no one actually said like, why? (laughs) Why did she do her hair like that? One of the ex-members said that Gwen used to have people come in to do her hair and makeup every day. So it's kind of like, you know, like, tell me you're surrounded by yes men without telling me you're surrounded by yes men. I can't even imagine the amount of hairspray it must have taken to create that hairstyle. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it almost... It has it had to have been done on purpose because it wasn't just the hair. She had ridiculous makeup too. But I'm thinking now, this is a lot like Tammy Faye Baker. And if you know nothing else about Tammy Faye, you know about her makeup. She became a household name because of it. So now I'm wondering if Gwen's hair and Gwen's makeup wasn't purposeful. No, Gwen, you evil genius. All right, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. Remember a few weeks back when I told you guys that there was some stuff in my past that I wanted to talk to you about, but that I had to work up to it? Well, this week, I was going back and forth as to whether I wanted to talk about it this week. It it wasn't a question of whether I wanted to. It was really more, can I? Do I have the courage to talk about this? Because there's very few people in my life that actually even know about this. Um, But I wanted to, and so... I started to to work on it. I started to write it earlier in the week. And as recording day got closer and closer, I got more and more nervous about it. And I actually decided to write another topic and, you know, hold off on this one. And then I got a call from one half of my favorite twins and totally unexpected, our conversation took a turn. And I have to say, sometimes I forget with my nieces and nephews, in my heart, they'll always be, you know, like these little babies, you know, like I feel like there's a part of me, you know, and my heart sees them as eight years old, always and forever. But I forget that they're actually these fully formed adult humans with thoughts and feelings and insight and grace. And because of that conversation that we had last night, I have the courage to talk about this today. So... Thank you, baby. I love you very, very much. Thanks for giving me the courage. So 
even though I'm nervous, <laughs> I actually didn't sleep last night. Um, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Deep breath. When I was 21, I was a year into sort of my sexual awakening, right? I told you guys I was a virgin until I was 20. And I was empowered by my sex life. I liked sex very much and I had a lot of it. And uh, I dated you know, casually. I wasn't really like committed to anyone. And um, often the men that I slept with were guys that I would see on a regular basis, you know, like same bar every Friday, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and there was one guy that uh, we were friendly, I guess whatever. Uh, and um, we were at the bar one night and hanging out, you know, just like any other Friday. And I, we were talking and it started out as a group of friends, but eventually it was just kind of uh, myself and him sitting at the end of the bar by ourselves. And then he uh, asked if we want, if I wanted to go outside. So we did, we went outside. And it was, uh, we were sitting in his car and we were talking. And now, again, I wasn't naive. I mean, I, I knew why we were in the car, right? But I didn't want to have sex that night. Uh, I was a little bit more drunk than I should have been by that point. Um, and... I do remember, you know, talking to him and being in the car with him. I remember what I was wearing <laughs> and uh, uh, kissing, making out, and then things kind of progressing beyond that point. And then I, you know, I was kind of like, eh, I don't really want to. And so he said, well, let's take a ride. Fine. Take a ride to his house. Um, at that time, of course, you know, he was also around that age. He wasn't living on his own. He was living with his parents. And um, we were sitting on the back porch and we were talking. He had gone inside and gotten a blanket because it was a little chilly out. We were just kind of huddled up in the blanket and talking and laughing. And I, at this point, was having like a really nice time. You know, I, I, I it was fine. And then... We started kissing again, and then, of course, you know, he started making advances again, and I said I didn't want to, and he just kept saying, you know, please, please, and so, so we had sex, and it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good in the moment. Uh, it didn't feel good after. It didn't feel good the next day uh, when I was trying to shower the memory away. And it definitely didn't feel good 
several weeks later when I didn't get my period. So today, what happened to me would have been called sexual assault. It wasn't consensual. I didn't want to. I said I didn't want to, but it still happened. Today, it's called sexual assault. But back then, that's not what they called it. Back then, it was the girl's fault. She had too much to drink. She dressed too provocatively. She was too flirty. She was asking for it. She deserved it. In that moment, I knew I didn't want to have sex with him. <sighs> and then I was pregnant. And if I wasn't already feeling horrible guilt and shame from that night, I definitely was when I found out I was pregnant. At that time in my life, like I said, I had had a fairly active sex life and I was proud of it. I had hung on to my virginity far longer than anyone else I knew. And once I got a taste of sex, I wanted to taste all of it. I proudly waved my sexual awakening flag. It was extremely empowering. But before that night, I decided when and with whom I had sex. And we always used protection. Condoms were a must. Except for that night on the back porch. And when I didn't get my period and I realized I was pregnant, I knew, I just knew. It was my punishment for what I had allowed to happen to me. I had put myself in an unsafe situation. And now this was the price I had to pay. I allowed it to happen. I spent the next couple of weeks going back and forth between guilt, shame, and absolute panic. And I did the only thing I felt I could do at that time and I had an abortion. I know this is a controversial subject and everyone has a right to their own thoughts and feelings about abortion. And to be honest, my own feelings about abortion are complicated. But once I had made up my mind that I was going to have the abortion, after only telling my best friend, I made an appointment, I went to the clinic by myself and I terminated the pregnancy. After the procedure, I lied to the clinic staff and told them that my friend was outside waiting to take me home. They wouldn't have let me leave on my own otherwise. And I walked out of the clinic to the nearest bus stop, got on a bus and cried all the way home. I was so ashamed, ashamed of what I had done and of what I had allowed to happen to me 
And to this day, I still carry that shame. Shame is such a destructive emotion. Guilt and shame are sometimes used interchangeably, but there is a distinct difference. According to an article I found on BetterHelp.com, guilt is what you feel when you don't live up to your own moral standards. Guilt provokes feelings of sadness, anger, anxiety. It can even cause physical reactions such as an upset stomach, which doesn't necessarily make guilt a bad thing if you work through it correctly. It can actually be helpful in preventing you from repeating the behavior that brought you to the guilt in the first place. Shame, on the other hand, is an intense negative feeling about yourself that comes from failing to live up to your own standards. As Brene Brown puts it, guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Or, Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. I know that they sound similar, but the main difference is that shame makes you see yourself as a bad person, while guilt implies that you're a good person who just did something bad. And while guilt can be healthy, shame is unhealthy, especially if it's not resolved because it leads to a loss of self-esteem. It can also enforce more negative behaviors because you already carry the belief that you're a bad person, you're likely to you're less likely to do the right thing when given the chance. Did you ever narrowly miss an accident because you just weren't paying attention? You might feel guilty because you know you almost caused an accident, but it will be kind of a wake-up call and it'll cause you to pay attention while you're driving. But shame turns that guilt of narrowly escaping an accident into, I'm a terrible person who doesn't deserve the privilege of driving. See the difference? With shame, it's about you as a person and not about your actions. Shame can also come from an outside source. Like in that same example, maybe the person in the passenger seat starts yelling at you saying you're too stupid to drive. And while guilt can be helpful, shame is destructive because we turn those negative feelings on ourselves and they can last for years or decades or a lifetime. Of course, I felt guilt and shame when I had the abortion, but it went way beyond the abortion itself. All through the years that I was trying to get pregnant, Every month when I was a few days late, every time I took a pregnancy test that came back negative, I relived the shame of the abortion. I believed to my core, and still do to some extent, that I was being punished. I had done something terrible, and this was the price I had to pay. What my brain tells me is, what if I was only ever intended by God or the universe or fate or whatever? What if I was only ever intended to get pregnant once? And when I did, 
I chose to terminate the pregnancy. What if I threw away the one and only chance I had to get to be a mom? Shame doesn't have to be rational to be effective. In fact, it's actually more powerful if it isn't. Years ago, it was common for parents to shame their children out of certain behaviors. Thankfully, this is something that is mostly no longer done because we now have an understanding of the long-term effects of shame and how that can change a person. Carrying shame for something you did or something that was done to you can have many different negative effects on your life. It decreases your self-esteem and the effects are cumulative. The more shame you feel, the worse you feel about yourself, which then reinforces the belief that you're a bad person. And unlike guilt, shame won't make you a better person who learns from their mistakes and tries to do better. Instead, people who cling to shame are more likely to do negative things and then just hide it from everybody. Because shame is a focus on self, whatever you're feeling shame about often becomes a deep, dark secret. Brene Brown says shame needs three things to thrive, secrecy, silence, and judgment. Shame tells you that you need to be perfect in order to be worthy. Guilt says you're already worthy. You just need to do better. So part of why I'm talking about this today is to hopefully shine a light on it and rid myself of some of the shame I have held on to for almost 30 years. I know I'm not the first person to terminate an unplanned pregnancy, but that doesn't make me feel better. I tried to do better almost immediately. I never again had unprotected sex up until I met my husband and we were trying to have babies. So, And that day when I left the clinic, I left with a follow-up appointment to get myself on birth control. But there is a part of me that wonders if the shame I carry over the abortion has anything to do with my strong desire to have a baby. Like, maybe I thought I could ease some of the shame if I was given another chance to make a different choice. Would that make everything okay? I'm also talking about this today, hoping that if there is anybody listening that has experienced the same thing, that you and I can kind of help each other to release the shame. I'm just going to bring it out in the open. We're going to talk about it. We're going to shed a light on it, rid ourselves of the judgment and the secrecy of the shame. After the abortion, I felt a lot of things. I felt guilt and shame for sure, but I also felt sadness, regret. I was so angry at him, at me, at the situation in general. But if I'm going to be honest, I also felt relief. 
And that may be the most shameful thing of all. There is another aspect to my shame and one that I'm not really sure I can delve into that deeply just because I'm kind of still struggling to work it out myself. But I'm going to try. I'm going to go into kind of religion now. And I know that not everyone shares my beliefs and that's okay. But I'm I'm just going to talk about it from my aspect, from my perspective, because I think it's important. I believe in God. What I did was a sin. I made a decision, regardless of the circumstances, to end the life of my child. And I struggle with this. That's just the truth. Almost 30 years later, I struggle with it. I've prayed about it. I've asked for forgiveness and I have tried to live my life in a way that honors God. But I've realized that God's love is not something we have to earn. God's love just is. We already have it. All we need to do is try to be the best people we can to others and to ourselves. In a strange twist that I didn't see coming, experiencing this guilt and shame has made me a more empathetic person. It reminds me to treat people with kindness, to not be so quick to judge, and to listen and extend grace whenever I can. And that's always the person I've wanted to be. And I've realized something else. I'm allowed to grieve the loss of my child. For a long time, I didn't think I could because it was my actions that caused the pain. I thought it was part of the punishment to always feel this way. For decades, I have carried the shame. I thought of it as my penance. But in kind of preparing myself to talk about this today, I sort of stumbled onto this thought of what I would say if a young woman I knew was faced with the choice that I was given almost 30 years ago. You know, I, 21-year-old woman caught in a terrible situation of getting pregnant after a night of unprotected sex, thinking that she had no alternative but to terminate the pregnancy. What would I say to her? First, I'd hug her and I would tell her, I am so sorry for what happened to you. I'm sorry you even are having to make this choice. Then I would listen with empathy and grace, and I'd support whatever choice she made. I would be the person I wished I had had back then. I don't know if I made the right choice. I, I might never know. And I don't know if I will ever be able to truly forgive myself. But... I'm committed to working on it. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 60. 
Don't forget, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast. And while you're over there, you might as well like the Facebook page, my so-called midlife podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can email me. You can email me anytime. You guys know the email address. It's my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. And I love you. Bye. Hey, guys, I'm just popping back in. I was editing the episode and I had one last thought. I did have people in my life that I could have talked to at any time who would have been empathetic, who would have extended grace to me, both when I had the abortion and then at any time over the last almost 30 years to talk to about, you know, the feelings of how I correlated the abortion with not getting to be a mom. And I just, you know, shame is, is like a catch 22. You know, I, 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 the shame from the abortion prevented me from talking about it, which then just caused more shame. So I just wanted to come back in and say, if there is something that you are carrying, you know, the, a, a burden of shame over something that either you did or something that happened to you, you don't need to carry this. If you have someone in your life that you can talk to, that you trust, great. If you don't, talk to a professional. You don't need to keep this secret anymore. Remember, it's in the dark that the shame thrives. Talk to someone. Okay, guys. I'm really going this time. I love you. Bye.